Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Paula. Hello, Mr. Roberts. How are things going this evening? They're going well. How about with you? Pretty good. Did you have a productive workout this morning? I did. I rode the bike on the trainer this morning. Did a little bit of a workout and then went for a run. It was nice. Beautiful morning. How about you? You were going for a run this morning. I was going for a run. I was head out the door and you said you might see me out there, but I didn't see you out there. Well, I started after you and I just never did catch up to you. Just because I'm so fast. (laughs) It's true. So while I was on the trainer for several days on the trainer, I've been watching Ironman St. George 70.3, the North American Championship. It was a very exciting race for a Ironman event. Oftentimes, somebody gets a big lead on the run, and it's a foregone conclusion on who's going to win. But this one was really exciting because there were four people in contention on the men's side halfway through the the run course, and then it came down to two people in the last 5K, and it was impressive. Lionel Sanders and Sam Long, they both gave it everything they had, and... Spoiler alert. It was inspirational. Lionel wins. Yes, he did. (laughs) Yes, he did. And what about the women? On the women's side, Danielle Reef ended up running away on the bike and staying away on the run. I can't remember the second place lady's name off the top of my head right now, but she was catching up on the run, and Daniela realized that she was within three and a half minutes, and so she picked up the pace. She had another gear. She was just coasting. Saving up. But something that surprised me was Daniela at the finish, when she was being interviewed, said she was doing a full Ironman in three weeks. And I believe Sam Long said that he was doing Ironman Tulsa in two weeks. Well, I think Daniela left some out there. She was not having to push to her limit, whereas poor Sam, he might have a little trouble, that Iron Man. <laughs> when Lionel Sanders was trying to get onto the block representing the first place finisher, he was struggling to uh, climb up onto that little box. I'm always amazed at Iron Man award ceremonies because they're the next day and I can't walk the next day after a marathon or an Iron Man. But some of these people who podium, they run up there as if they did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not me. Different kind of different volume of training in order to be able to handle that type of effort and not be wiped out. True. So I read an interesting article this week, changing topics. And I believe this occurred you know, several months ago, in October of last year. But Des Linden, she did an interesting challenge in the month of October last year. She started off with one mile on October the 1st, and then she ran two miles on October the 2nd. And each day of the month, she ran an extra mile. So that last week, 
You know, on October 31st, she ran 31 miles. On October 30th, she ran 30. So that last week, she ran 196 miles. That's a pretty aggressive challenge. I'm glad she did an arithmetic rather than a geometric sequence. You care to explain the difference? Well, if you're adding a mile every day, that's a lot different than if you're doubling the miles every day. (laughs) Good point. Good point. That's still impressive. Yeah. I think I'll try that. In February. In February? It's two two less days. Oh, well, there you go. We can try that in June. (laughs) I think I'll pass on that. Yeah, I probably will too. So what do you want to talk about today? You don't like what we're talking about? Well, we always do a little bit of small talk before we get into the main topic of the episode. So you want me to come up with the main topic today? You said you were going to have a main topic today. I did. And I'm going to be surprised. (laughs) Surprise? I don't have one. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) All right. So let me just start by asking you this question. Okay. Are you familiar with the tale of the tortoise and the hare? I've heard that story. What do you know about that story? The tortoise ends up winning because well, the... that was just kind of jumping to the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. No, what else do you know about that story? Well, the rabbit thought that he didn't have to be in any hurry because the, tur- the tortoise was so slow, and I guess the the hare, the rabbit, lost track of time, and the tortoise just went on by. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> So is that our topic for today? The tortoise and the hare, that's our topic today. So I guess with, I think the moral, what would you say the moral of the story is of the rabbit and the turtle? Well, I think one is uh, don't be arrogant. And another is to just be patient and consistent and, and do what you can and just see how it works out. But don't be complacent like the rabbit was and not really care about the finish line until it was too late. Yeah. So I guess the thing that's kind of difficult about this story is the rabbit obviously has more natural talent at going fast than the turtle. Yes. So I often wondered what a story would look like if it was the the hardworking and consistent turtle versus the lazy turtle or sporadic turtle, or what would the hardworking and consistent rabbit look like versus the lazy or sporadic rabbit? I'm anxious to hear the results. You wouldn't have an educated, <laughs> educated <laughs> guess. Well, whoever is gifted and really puts forth the consistent effort should do really well. Yeah. I guess what got me thinking about all this is on our last podcast, we discussed the follies around registering for races, especially races that sell out early. I remember that. I guess this is kind of a tangent from that topic. You got to hang with me there. You're giving me a face like, what? So, and one of the things we, we discussed is often to register for those popular races, such as anything that's an Ironman brand or the world majors, that type of thing. Sometimes it's 7 to 12 months in advance that you have to register. And we talked about last time that triathletes pay big money to hear Mike Riley say, Dean Roberts, you are an Ironman. But anyway, you get really excited about that. 
Maybe there's an Ironman coming up in October. Registration's open. It's January. And you're just thinking, man, I want to be an Ironman. Or I want to hear Mike Riley call me an Ironman again. It's January. You register. You're excited. You plaster it all over social media that you're going to compete in the Ironman. But hey, it's January. <laughs> Don't have to do anything yet, right? Well, it's way too early to start training. Way too early. So Not. <laughs> not. Definitely not. Then it just kind of hits you after you hit the registration button and after you get all the likes and kudos and how about that's on social media. Suddenly, maybe it doesn't seem as exciting. Like there might be some hard work involved. So I'm going to switch gears now to Boston Marathon because that's been on a lot of people's minds lately so in a typical year you know how i like to give scenarios so you're gonna have to really track with this all right i'm very focused okay so in a typical year athletes register for boston in september yes and then the race occurs seven months later in april i know this is an unusual year and the boston 2022 registration won't occur until late October, early November would be my guess. They haven't said yet, but they're not running Boston until October, and you would think they'd want their race to be a qualifying race. So, yes. Anyway, really doesn't make any difference because for the sake of argument, we're just going to use this September registration for an April race. So we're just pretending it's a regular year instead of what is reality this year. Yes. So Boston, like a lot of the marathon majors, New York, Chicago, Tokyo, Berlin, London, and most of the Ironman events, you're going to be registering early. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. So it's September and we have three athletes. It's all hypothetical. We have three athletes that have identical God-given ability. Okay. And these three athletes have registered for and have gained entrance into Boston. So they registered in September and they're going to run in April. And I'm going to tell you what each of these athletes say last 14 to 16 months look like as an athlete in preparation for Boston. 14 to 16 months. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. And then at the end, so you really got to pay attention at the end. You're going to tell me who you put your money on as meeting the goal because they all have the goal of getting a personal best marathon. I'm staying as focused as I can. (laughs) So here's athlete number one. And we're going to call it, not to, you know, sway your vote anyway, but we're going to call this athlete the path of least resistance athlete. Okay? Path of least resistance. Okay. So this athlete's last marathon took place in January, eight months ago, because now it's September, you know, registering. Since that time, the athlete has been taking it easy and running very little. The athlete has been occasionally attending a spin class and does easy rides with friends outside sometimes. It's now September, and the athlete gets the exciting email that they've gained entrance and acceptance into the Boston Marathon. So the athlete posts the congratulatory BAA email on a variety of social media venues and is excited to be running this historical race. The athlete wants to get a personal best. I think I mentioned that. You did. The athlete then goes to the website 
and downloads the BAA training plan and notices that it is a 16-week plan. So they go to the race date and they count back 16 weeks and realize, hey, I can still chill and relax until the end of December. (laughs) I'm still tracking with you. Okay, so the athlete still pretty much avoids running altogether. However, once the 16-week window rolls around, the athlete is pretty consistent with implementing the training plan. So there's athlete number one. All right. Having seen some of those BAA training plans, I find that hard to believe. (laughs) Because they're pretty aggressive. They are pretty aggressive. All right. Athlete number two. We're going to call this athlete fear of missing out athlete. Path of least resistance. Fear of missing out. Well, you are listening. I'm focused. This is the fear of missing out athlete, or FOMO for short. Okay. (laughs) I couldn't really get a for for short on path of least resistance. Polar. (laughs) I don't know. So I digress. Here's the fear of missing out athlete. This athlete's last marathon was also... January. January. Since then... Each time the athlete sees a 5K or a sprint triathlon or some other race, the athlete registers. The athlete is racing a bunch, but the training is hit and miss, having having lots of fun. After all, competing is a workout, right? After the September registration, this athlete also does the math and realizes the official training block doesn't start till the end of December. So the athlete continues... Jumping on the bandwagon for every short distance race that sounds exciting. And by the time the end of December rolls around, the athlete is exhausted. During the marathon training cycle, the athlete continues to impulsively sign up for races, including attempting to PR a half marathon three weeks before the Boston Marathon. That's athlete number two. Fear of missing out. Yeah. All the things. And then athlete number three, we're going to call this the plan and execute athlete. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not execute as in. (laughs) I didn't think you meant execution. (laughs) Okay. You just gave me a look. So like the previous two athletes, the athlete also ran a marathon in January eight months before registration opened. In February, March, and April, the athlete returned to a consistent build of an aerobic threshold running block, beginning around 25 miles per week and slowly building to 40 miles per week. All running was easy, zone two, or rate of perceived exertion around four efforts. And most often, this athlete enjoyed the company of running with friends during his easy runs. In early May, the athlete raced a 5K as a time trial to gauge current fitness. After the 5K, the athlete began a training block to prepare for a mid-September half marathon. The athlete maintained mileage of around 40 miles per week, but began ramping up intensity, layering in short, fast interval work and hill repeats and threshold effort runs. After the September half marathon, the athlete took two weeks off from running and then returned to a recovery phase similar to back what the athlete did in February, starting with 25 miles per week, building back up 
to around 40 miles per week, which the athlete hit right around the end of December. And then the athlete entered the 16-week marathon training block. So all three of these athletes did the same 16-week canned marathon training block, but their history into starting that block were all different. So that's about 16 months of what the athletes did. Now all three of them are at the starting line, all of equal ability. Who's got the greatest shot and why? The third person, plan and execute. Why is that? Well, that person should be more mentally fresh and physically fresh because they didn't do all the racing throughout the previous year. Very focused, purposeful races. Wasn't complacent with training and was just very consistent. So was much better prepared going into the beginning of the year when the marathon emphasis really picked up. Yeah. So I uh, met an athlete when I was at the triathlon training camp that I had attended a few summers back. And the athlete had competed in six full iron distance events with the results being almost identical every time. Even though you would think year over year, you would probably improve at that distance. And there wasn't a lapse like it was every year this athlete had participated. But what was happening is the athlete would would register, would then figure out when the 20-week training block would start, would do the 20-week training block, would compete in the event, the iron distance event, and then take a vacation from working out in all three disciplines until 16 to 20 weeks out from the next one. So he wasn't really doing anything to build a base. So he was kind of starting over. Yeah, starting over every time. Starting over every time. So I think another place that I recognize this is, you know, when you and I used to coach middle school and high school cross country, at the end of the season, we liked for our athletes to kind of think about, all right, coming into, like, where are you right now? Coming into next year, where do you want to be? Because our hope was if they had big goals, because normally they were coming off the excitement of having been at regionals or state, whatever their final competition was. And so they were excited. And it's easy to be excited when you're in competition season. But honestly, cross country is a relatively short season. We would get them early to mid-July and coach them through the end of October or for high school November. But then there was December through June where a lot of it had to do with what they were willing to be consistent with and do in that off season. So our athletes that improved every year were mostly those athletes who took advantage of the downtime in the off season. They didn't become complacent. We sometimes have an athlete say, hey, I'd like to PR in a 5K that's six weeks away. Can you help me do that? Honestly, I don't know. (laughs) It depends on what your current fitness level is. Yes. What's your current PR? When was that? And what have you been doing since that time? Those are all critical. Yeah. And then, of course, what you're, what you're going to do in that six weeks is also important. But overall, you don't transform your fitness in six weeks. Right. So, circling back around to the rabbit and the turtle. Where we started. 
We did. I don't even think of this in actual terms of race day, although it can apply to race day, because you can definitely lose focus in a race or not execute well on actual race day. But in our recent team note, you talked about race strategy and getting stronger as the race unfolds rather than going out like a rabbit and fading. But I think this story applies so well to training. I cannot say enough about the importance of being consistent in training. As endurance athletes, assuming we are healthy, every day is a choice. I can choose to swim today. I can choose not to swim today. I can choose to bike today or not. I can choose to run today or not. And if you're a triathlete, some of those choices may be easier than others. Some people love going to the pool, and so that's easy to get up and go to the pool every day. But you have to be consistent in all the disciplines. Or I can make an excuse not to do those things, right? You could. Yeah. But just remember, when you get to the starting line, it's the entire body of work over the weeks, over the months, and even over the years that help you gain fitness and become a better athlete. Yeah, and based on that consistent block of training... Over, in your Boston scenario, 16 weeks plus what led up to it over the previous months. You ought to have a pretty good idea of what you're capable of. And we like to talk about having a race plan. So your race plan ought to have you have a strategy to where you're racing at your level rather than trying to shock the world and ended up crashing and burning. Agreed. I agree. So endurance athletes that get better over time are those that really devote an effort to it year-round. You're going to continue to get better. Now, if you're a new athlete and you haven't built any fitness, you are going to get better. But at some point, you're going to plateau, and then you've got to make a commitment to year-round training. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. Now, this doesn't mean you need to go out with guns a-blazing all year, like the fear of missing out athlete we referenced earlier. You can definitely do too much, and your body never has an opportunity to absorb fitness and get stronger. It's always broken down. That could happen. So, But it does mean that after you have completed a race, you don't head into hibernation for six weeks, which could turn into months. Yeah, we had a athlete mention that to us, how difficult it is after a big event to take the right amount of time off, but not take off so much that you get out of the habit. Yeah. Depending on the intensity of the race, it may be necessary to take a few weeks to recover. I know after your Kona World Championships, you took probably a good three-week downtime recovery, which was needed. You've been really in a three-year training cycle. Yeah, it was a good time to take a break. Yeah, but if you're not careful, a week or two can turn into months of no training. An athlete who goes into a consistent recovery block between training cycles is much more ready for the next training cycle than an athlete who races after a 16-week training cycle, takes a few months off, and then starts again, it's almost like starting over. So if there's two athletes that have just finished a heavy 16-week training cycle, competed in their event, if the first athlete then takes a couple of weeks off to recover, and then they just go into an easy base of training, just 
easy miles and just kind of building that aerobic threshold, that athlete's going to fare much better than another athlete who after the 16-week training block and then competes, takes three or four months off and sits on the couch and Netflix binges. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that athlete is really putting a shock on their body when they start back, whereas the the other athlete still had a lot of that fitness. It was less of a shock to the system to do that aerobic threshold training, low miles and easy miles. Yeah, and another thing about keeping that fitness base and staying fit year-round, once you do hit, I keep saying saying a 16-week training block, but it could be a 20-week or 12-week. Like, it varies depending on the event. But once you hit that training block, let's say you tweak a knee or an ankle or life gets really busy at work for a week or two, and you do have to scale back your training a little bit, those 16 weeks aren't as critical if you've got a big fitness base. It's like when I was training for Ironman Louisville and I couldn't run for a few weeks because of my ankle. I had my entire body of work and my fitness to fall back on, and it was fine. Yeah, and that's one of the advantageous things about triathlon is if you can't do one of the events for a while because of an injury, then you can focus on the others and still keep your aerobic threshold up and improve in the other sports while you're still recovering. Right. It's a little more difficult for running, but there are options. Yeah. But if you have two athletes, one going in with no fitness base into a 16-week training cycle, and the other who is very fit from maintaining their fitness between training cycles, one of those athletes is going to be far more impacted by having to alter the training cycle than the other. I agree. So and this sometimes becomes the hard part of coaching because, first of all, I will say the majority of our athletes are extremely type A and sometimes do their workout even when they shouldn't. And so we have to say, yeah, you should probably miss that. So, But occasionally we have an athlete or we have friends who talk about it, maybe people we don't coach as well, that miss a workout. Like they know what the workouts are. They know what the plan is for the week. And and if it's one of our athletes and they miss it, we don't we don't judge them or criticize them, but we do ask them why. Like we mostly ask them why because sometimes it's just a great decision. And sometimes we're like, yay, way to go, Dean. It was on your plan and you were able to make that good decision to not do it. So because sometimes there are reasons to miss a workout. Yeah. But if there isn't a good reason, sometimes us just asking the athlete the question causes them to be introspective about that decision, which is really good for them to think about. I think that's one of the advantages of having a coach is somebody to help you be accountable to doing what's needed, but not doing too much. Yeah. And I've never had an athlete come back to me and say, oh my goodness, hey, that was such a good decision that back three months ago when I was perfectly healthy and everything was great, I'm so excited that I just skipped those workouts. Hooray for me. (laughs) No, but we do have the reverse. We often have athletes say, I really wish I had taken advantage of my training last month because, and then you can just fill in the blank, like right now I'm struggling with an injury or my mom's in the hospital or I'm working 80 hours. And so 
there are going to be times in life where things come up where you're going to miss workouts. So that's why it's important when you get up in the morning and it's just, I don't feel like running today, but you have no good reason. Put on those shoes and get out the door and at least commit to walking for a minute. Pretty soon you're going to be running anyway. Yeah, just go out, get out the door. We've been talking specifically about being consistent and that paying off as far as building endurance fitness. But of course, like so many parallels to training and life, the same holds true really in all areas of our lives. And I'm going to give a couple of examples. Okay. I used to be, used to be, and I'm happy that I can say used to be, but I used to be really bad with nutrition and probably our entire married life up until the last seven years, I'd be on the 30-day fix or this diet plan or that diet plan. And while I was on that 30-day focus, I would lose eight to 10 pounds. Well, then I would go back to my lazy, and I call it lazy because it's really just lack of planning and also unhealthy nutrition habits. Then I'd find out, hey, we're getting family picks made in a couple months. So I'd go back to a good focused block of eating healthy, eating the right thing. So I would lose that exact same 8 to 10 pounds and the cycle just continued. In fact, I bet you I've lost the same 10 pounds probably 50 times since we've been married. (laughs) That's a lot of pounds. That's a lot of pounds, except for it was all the same pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I would want to lose... 10 pounds, 50 times, because I don't weigh 500 pounds, people. (laughs) But you know what I mean. But a few years back, and I've talked about this before, a few years back, I really turned a corner. I started really reading and researching and learning how important nutrition and fueling is overall to my sport, which you would think that would just make sense, but I had to learn it the hard way, I guess. So now, if family pictures come up, There isn't stress about, will my clothes fit, or do I need to go on a six-week crash diet, or whatever, like, I don't have to worry about that. Or, like this past weekend, Mother's Day weekend, our daughter Bethany baked me some homemade gluten-free cupcakes. And they were delicious. They were delicious. And I can eat one without feeling bad. Just like, as a runner, if I have a body of work and fitness and I've been consistent over the course of a year if something comes up and I have to miss a workout that is not going to change my overall fitness just like if I'm eating healthy on a daily basis then one cupcake on Mother's Day is not going to make an overall impact negatively to my weight. I had two cupcakes. Oh you did. They were delicious. You just you did not fess that up to me until just now. They were really good. Congratulations. That's just like for some of our athletes who will never miss a workout. And then if they finally do, we're proud of them. I am proud of you for eating cupcakes. I can do it more often. (laughs) I was like getting carried away. So anyway, obviously this is a parallel, this eating healthy on a regular basis all year round rather than just leading up to a wedding or leading up to family pictures or, you know. It's not just about what you look like. It's about taking care of your body. And it's not necessarily about endurance sports. It's about being healthy and having a healthy lifestyle and, and just taking good care of yourself. Yep, I agree. But it is something that takes 
a decision. It takes responsibility, commitment, some sacrifice. But it's okay to splurge every once in a while. Yeah, agreed. And then the final area that I'll talk about, this, this applies, although I think we could apply it to anything. I think we could apply it to how much effort do I put into spending quality time with you or uh, investing quality time with Jacob and Bethany and Shelby and Eliane, like our family, like all of that matters. And of course, this applies to our spiritual life as well. Imagine if we only trained for our sport on Sundays or maybe on Wednesdays and Sundays. This would be better than nothing, right? It would be. However, training one to two days per week is not going to yield the same level of fitness as training consistently throughout the week. So this same concept applies with our relationship with Christ. We need to be consistent in praying and reading and getting to know Him. Only this is much more important than our physical sport. Yes, it is. So, And I did want to share a couple of Bible verses that relate to this. Well, before you jump into that... What I was thinking was, you know, it's easy to seek the Lord when things are going bad. And that's, I'm thinking that's a parallel to what you're saying about really focusing on your training when you know the race is coming up. But we need to spend time with the Lord all the time. Be thankful for the good times and be prayerful all the time, not just when we're struggling in an area. Mm-hmm. All right, so you have some scriptures. Yeah, that go along with that concept. So it's funny too, both of these scriptures are chapter 4, verse 8. I always love it when something like that happens. The one of, They're completely different books, but in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Seeking God and drawing near to Him has eternal consequences, as well as good results here on earth, too. Yeah, in addition to an eternal home, it's a path to just having a more joyful life every day until then. Yep. And then as far as spending time consistently every day, seeking the Lord, praying, reading the Bible to get to know what he says, get to know truth. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So anyway, just to sum up the point of this podcast, because I feel like, I feel like whenever the podcast topic is mine, it just kind of randomly goes everywhere. But here's how I would sum it up. Let's be consistent and let's be purposeful in areas for which we want to grow strong. For me personally, that includes my faith in Christ, quality relationship with you and with Bethany, Jacob, Shelby, Ellie, and the rest of our family. That includes healthy eating, and it also includes my endurance sports hobby. I think you summed it up rather well. Why, thank you. So if you'd like to join in on the conversation, if you have ideas for podcasts or would just like to ask us questions or comments, we have a Facebook group. It's called RYR Endurance Team. Search that and 
send us a request and we'll let you in the group and we'd be glad to have you a part of the community. And if you're struggling with consistency and you you want some help, whether that's just improving your fitness or training for a big goal, we'd love to talk to you about coaching. We love what we do. We do. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.